Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to a tech leader with a very interesting journey. Our guest, Chuck Hardy, joins us to tell us about his fabulous life trek and how he landed up in a place he loves to love. Let's not delay. Let's get Chuck into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Chuck. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Thanks, TC. Great to have you. I appreciate the invite. So, Chuck, let the audience know who you are and what you do. Uh, thanks. My name's Chuck Hardy. I'm extremely fortunate and privileged to be the head of engineering for a fantastic new successful startup called Salesroom. And uh, my job is to build blah, blah, blahs with blah, blah, blah. And uh, <laughs> I add these blah, blah, blahs together. And Excellent. I make blahs. Yeah. I'm getting the swing of it. That's it. Yeah, that's good. The um, so so I'm really looking forward to exploring those blah blah blahs. Okay, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. But before we jump into that, before we jump into that, tell us about your journey because you've got a really interesting journey that we've spoken about offline. What's your journey to this tech leadership position you have now? Uh, going all the way back to the beginning, some of you may know or at least be able to hear that I'm from South Africa. So I grew up there. I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, my mother, God bless her soul, looked after three kids with nothing much, worked many jobs to get us where we want. But at that time, she also helped stem our passions. And my, one of mine was computing. I, When I was young, we didn't have a lot of money for computers. In fact, there is no way we could have ever afforded one. But we did, you know, with the help of people, um, which we'll see is the story throughout my life is just kind people being very, very helpful. Uh, and borrowing things I never returned, um, I built computers. I managed to consume content from books like the Microsoft Certified System Engineering books, just things like that. I was really interested in it. I didn't have a mobile phone. I didn't get one of those until 20s. And um, I didn't really have access to a lot of things like the internet or anything like that. So for me, learning was, was very much books oriented. I came over to Britain when I was 16, uh, joined the British Army Air Corps just before my 18th birthday and um, had a fantastic career of eight years traveling the world, including two combat tours of Iraq, where I did advanced communications and advanced weaponry. Uh, flying around in helicopters was tons of fun. You should see the pictures. It's just lovely. I had a really great time. And then unfortunately I got uh, injured and I had to go and um, well, I chose to leave. I would have stayed for, for all of my life. It was such a great career and I recommend it to anyone. It uh, really is a lovely place. And um, when I left, I was applying for roles in this colonel that worked for a company called On The Beach in the, U in the UK. Really top-notch company, a travel company, but the technology team is impeccable. Uh, he said, hey, come work for me. And um, they did everything in their power to make sure that I became the best software engineer I could. I put the hours in. I learned everything I could. Uh, really fell in love with coding and still to, to this day, uh, love with it. And... Um, I transitioned out of them after sort of three, four years and then did a bunch of other stints around the world too. I worked in France and things like that. And then eventually got a, a role with a company in America called General Assembly, which is this amazing education company that's making a real big difference in the world. And throughout my experience there, um, really was given the privilege of leading in many different formats and many different contexts. And eventually made my, my way up to be uh, the vice president of technology there. Um, and I think I did it by just asking questions and putting my hand up when there were problems to solve. Pretty much it. Excellent. That sounds great. It seems a, a lovely, a lovely, a lovely set of transitions. And um, and I'm curious around the learning that you had in the forces. You know, the, you know your your uh, tour. You know, in within the forces and what what that brought to your leadership and what that brought to your kind of career kind of path, uh, the skills that you learned there. I think from a career perspective, um, being a veteran, it definitely helps. I mean, people hire you 
Um, you don't have to do a lot before someone decides to hire you, which is very nice. From a skills mm. perspective, um, I think I learned how to be calm about things. I think I learned that problems are not difficult if you get the right people in a room and just work together to try and solve them. Uh, I definitely learned that um, it's not about me. My title is an absolute meaningless uh, thing. And it's all about the amount of who I can bring into a room and how I can empower them and give ownership towards solving a specific problem. And that's it. I'm the facilitator. I, I'm there to serve them. Excellent. That's great. This, the, the idea of this kind of servant leadership. And mm. I, I can imagine, you know, within your, uh, your time at the army, the, the, you know, the, the difference between a leader and somebody who manages is, is quite stark. Yeah, man managers don't succeed in the military. Mm. Uh, if, you, if you're not at the front, uh, you won't succeed. Wow. Any story. Fantastic. And hopefully we'll explore that kind of leadership uh, learning, that wisdom. What I particularly like, actually, just to touch on it, was your calmness. You know, you learned to be calm. I can imagine, you know, everything seems a few notches down compared to, you know, some of the experiences that you had. I definitely need to learn something from you there, Chuck. So, uh, <laughs> Very um, so coming on to the company that you work for at the moment, uh, Sales Room, what's the problem that it's solving in the market? So before I tell you about the problem, let me tell you how I got you. That's probably a really oh, interesting story go too. <laughs> so I work for this, as I said, this amazing company called General Assembly and then 2020 happened. All of our lives were put in, in this sort of perspective. And I said to my wife one day, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what I'm doing. Like, what's next? And she, was, she said, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know, but I've always wanted to be a founder or, or an entrepreneur. My whole family is filled with um, business owners. I'm, I think I'm the only one who isn't, uh, who's a payee employee. And um, she said, okay, let's do it. Like, just give up and, and let's go do your own thing. Whatever it is, I'll support you. This is my wife. And what I found is um, I was really scared, like really scared. I didn't feel like I had the ability to do it. Uh, I had a huge imposter syndrome of trying to even play that game. Uh, and then I saw that this guy named Greg Pollock, was advertising a course online. And, and for those of you who don't know Greg Pollock, he's an amazing technology leader. He, he founded Code School, uh, who educated me back in the day. Anyway, I have a lot of respect for him. He was doing a leadership course with some other amazing human beings. I joined that and it really helped me put things into perspective of what I wanted in life. And the thing that would, where I could wake up every morning and be happy with how I'm spending my time and the contribution I'm making in the world. <clears throat> and, um, after that, it was clear. Um, my wife, by the way, she's an environmental scientist and we're very environmentally conscious as a couple. And I said, okay, I'm gonna work for a startup that focuses on the environment. And I'm gonna put all of my energy into that for the next five years. And I'm gonna find some founders that were willing to teach me how to be a founder myself. And then it, maybe I can go that route that, and, and meet my dream in, in, in the future. So I interviewed for uh, 14 companies in total. One was Facebook. Uh, and 12 were all environmental companies. Uh, thank you all for the opportunity to interview, by the way, if you're listening. And then one was Sales Room. And what's funny is I didn't find Sales Room. My wife found them. And she messaged me. It was super late at night. And she was like, look, this is a bit of you. And if you watch Love Island or you're British, a bit of you means that these are your kind of people. And the job <laughs> description spoke about um, how they want to challenge the status quo and that they think video is a very different medium for the future and how it can really empower people uh, to be themselves, create more genuine relationships, be more authentic. Uh, and they wanted to focus on sales first, like, cause they're uh, the founders of sales room are both uh, expert sellers and, and that's where they're happy places. Uh, and I was like, Hey, this does sound like a bit of me. So I applied late at night. I made a spelling mistake, like an idiot in my job application. And thank God they didn't care about that. So they called me up and they were like, hey, let's meet. And I met with Roy and, uh, and Daria, the founders of Sales Room, fantastic human beings, um, really, really fantastic human beings. And uh, immediately they were authentic. They told me everything, good, the bad. They were willing to be teachers to show how the sausage is going to get made. They connected me with investors, with people that they've worked with in the past, they could recommend them. They spoke honestly about the problem. And it was clear to me that a problem did exist. Uh, and that's a good transition. So I ended up joining them back in May, which is just over six months ago. And uh, the problem that they're trying to solve is simply that selling is hard and selling virtually is even harder. It's, it's really that we're spending, sellers are spending more and more time now on, with more customers, but deals are taking longer to close. Mm. And the strategies that sellers are now bringing 
to virtual selling that they used to have for in-person and that they learned over decades, it doesn't translate well. And the only thing that they're given as a tool is this generic sort of experience of video meeting where that we're all just replaced with being able to see each other and hear each other. Nothing else has helped along the way. And sure, there's some bolt on things that, that attempted to do it, but the experience of video, the ability to take all the uh, in-person connections and ability to create relationships and build trust and create confidence, none of that's come really over. And it's very difficult for sellers, or at least it's an 80-20 problem, where 80% have it, find it difficult and 20% just flow through. Mm. We're trying to solve that. And <clears throat> with now less time is expected to travel, but sellers are speaking more to, to more customers, buyers have more options. But what this means for sellers is they have to spend less time preparing because they have to take more calls. They don't have the opportunity to build a trust and confidence I was speaking about earlier. And it's far easier for a buyer to just drop off the process and go to someone else now. And deals just take much longer. So the only leverage that a seller has or an account executive is just to increase the amount of time that they throw at their job. And that's not okay. Mm -hmm. And in the future, you know, thanks to Zoom, to Meets, to Teams, thank you so much for helping us transition to a world from in-person to virtual. And the world needed to be able to see that it was possible. And it's only that possibility that has now unlocked sales room as a company. And a big thank you to them, but it's not the future. The future is platforms like video meeting experiences that really target helping individuals like sellers sell to people, uh, sell to their customers and create relationships, etc. So we're building a product and it's going to make virtual meeting like this. Um, your unfair advantage, really, for sellers. Brilliant. And I'm, I'm so I'm so excited. I just let's use the whole time to just talk about it. <laughs> That's great. I, I can imagine there's people in this kind of audience listening to this uh, podcast right now, pointing at the uh, pointing at the speaker or the screen or whatever device listening to going. Do you know what? I need that. I know exactly because what you spoke uh -huh. to was something that I've heard a lot. You know, the, the world has changed and we're adapting. And, you know, I think what uh, sales room or what your team are doing is, is uh, uh, working to, to, to really kind of make that easier. So there's a part of, there's a part of me that um, would really like to know what, what that is, the, what, what is it the platform does to actually make that easier? Great question. I'm glad you asked it. Let me, <laughs> this is the exciting part of it. But before I do that, let's, let me use an analogy, right? Cause we're on a tech, we're, we're talking about tech. Let's use an analogy or one that I like to use. So imagine if you're an engineer. And all that you had at your disposal to do your job was a basic text editor, something like, I don't know, Nano, you know, on, on Unix, uh, to do your job. You can't customize it, doesn't really you know, work to your way of working, and it doesn't really adapt to, to the way you're solving any specific problem. And nothing really helps you along the way. And, and, and in most cases, for those of you who've used tools like that, they generally get in your way. Hmm. And uh, you don't really have any options, let's say. And sure, there's some tools that bolt on and they try and help, but fundamentally the experience that you're going through doesn't change. Mm. And we don't allow that. Like engineers today have the ability to use tools in their way to solve their problems and the tools adapt. And there are many options out there. We don't offer that to salespeople or to buyers. So SalesRoom is taking the video meeting experience, just like Google meets Zoom and Teams and making it specifically for sellers. Mm. We're doing we're taking everything from post meeting and we're bringing it real time So real time coaching, real time analysis. We're able to sit and align the agenda with your buyers. You're able to focus on what next steps collectively help you close deals. You're able to take less notes because we intelligently help you capture highlights and moments throughout the meeting that we feel are important. We transcribe them and we collect them together. And then we allow you to form that all into a very TikTok sort of Instagram style caption of just a snapshot of what happened. Mm. Little features like um, when people join late to the meeting, we allow them to catch up before they enter the room. And just like in real person, you know, if you're in person, you go to a meeting, you look through the window before you open the door. You don't have that in virtual sales. You just join and you're nice. in and you don't know who you disturbed or what's happened. We have a lobby just like in real life. When you go to a meeting in person, you're not just expected to just turn up or just not talk. Uh, but sales room brings the concept of lobby, lobby where you're able to see the atmosphere, you know, absorb what's happening with the company, be able to talk to your partner before they start the call. And our lobby, for example, has Slack has it too, a huddle, the ability to just talk before the meeting starts instead of being restricted in silence, waiting for it to start. Yes, I like it. Yeah, there's so many cool features. This is so great. <laughs> and um, when you're walking to the meeting room with the seller 
and the buyer together. You talk about other things. You build relationships together. You form some kind of bond and you ask things that are not directly related to something. And so SalesRoom has a bunch of features that tries to create relationships. For example, um, if, if you and I, if you were the buyer and I was the seller, we would have a single URL. And if we both turned up to that URL, a meeting would be there. There's no need to schedule things and, and all this thing. It's just about creating our relationships together. I'm able to build and take notes in a way that allows me to really capture who you are. And if we're meeting for the first time, sales room lets me be a little bit more prepared. It uh, uses intelligent live topics, for example, to say, hey, given that, uh, given that TC wants to talk about this and you want to talk about that, why not send TC these files ahead of schedule and answer these questions from your knowledge base up front so that you can have a more productive meeting, et cetera. Mm. And the most exciting feature that I like about SalesRoom is that it doesn't force you to look the same as everyone else. We have this concept of build your own rooms, which allows you to completely customize absolutely everything to do with the video meeting experience from the layout, from the look, from the feel to what the ML is doing in the background to to what the buyer sees and what the buyer experiences, everything, you get to customize it all on wow. your own. You get to switch live through the call, either depending on where you are in the sales cycle or depending on the mood. So for mm. example, one of my favorite rooms that we're building that's gonna just uh, just be a lot of fun is like the celebration room, right? At the end of a deal, <laughs> you join a call in the celebration room and it's just a bit more fun. It adds a bit more color. It has a lot of ways of celebrating the, the uniqueness of the room and uh, or the introduction room. Like yeah. if you're meeting for the first time, sales room says, hey, we know that you're introducing each other. So it starts to be a little bit more intelligent in the background and start to bring pictures up, for example, from, from social platforms that says, hey, Chuck, here's TC social things. And you can just see them happening in real time because it knows that you're trying to create something together, which mm -hmm. is a relationship. And there's many things around the world and online that can help you build that. I can talk forever on this. Oh, this is great. I love this. Honestly, <laughs> I, I so can cool. see the passion. Yeah. I can see why you, you joined SalesRoom and, and you know the team that kind of uh, created this, this platform and the vision that they had. Because what this is this is the great thing about CTO Confessions and particularly the discussion here with you, Chuck, is that you know I love it. And, and the audience that we've kind of spoken to love it when technology solves real problems in the real That's world amazing. you know and bringing techno technology to enhance our human situation you know and the situation has changed and we're and we're adapting to it, it here you go so this is an i'm going to throw this i know this is a podcast about yeah. you but i'm going to throw it in there it might be something you're covering um i've always wanted music in um, certain types of music to, to set the mood uh for certain types of meetings and obviously you can't kind of put on you know uh prodigy or something like that you know in the background but is that something is that something that you use on your platform is it something that could be used in your platform it is so in the lobby experience for example when when the buyer joins the call they're able to recap on previous meetings if there were any they're able to watch intro videos of the seller itself to gain get to know people before they join uh, and they're able to listen to music if that's you know if they're just sitting there doing nothing you know we'll, we'll start to play some music and that music is a representation of the seller oh, and uh, in call no we haven't done music but i'll take it away i'll put it on the thing and i'll call it the tc feature if it happens. <laughs> i love it because <laughs> this is the great thing what you're looking there is is that you're um, all the pain points, all the things that don't set the meeting off on a good start, you're kind of mitigating that. You're, you're setting, you're creating the ground, the foundations for a good meeting. I love exactly. it. Exactly. And, and this is what I love. And I'm, I'm sorry to take so much airtime, by the way, which is also another future sales room has. And it would tell me right now if I'm taking too much. Um, <laughs> but the founders of this company, Roy and Daria, they have a very clear vision that is opinionated. They're taking the experience that you have offline and they are trying to adapt it to online instead of just saying, nope, here's a stream of video and you can hear the other person. Good luck, have a good day. They're saying, no, in real life, if you're sitting in a meeting with a buyer and somebody's sitting next to you, of course they're gonna hand a piece of paper over to you when the buyer asks the question. Of course they're gonna give you the look and the peripheral vision when they think you're doing something silly. Like all of these things are enabled in, in person. And if we take it virtually, we can be even better with it. And SalesRoom has another feature, for example, called EQ Coach. And it is able to trend analysis and tone analysis to be able to say, hey, Chuck, you're being a bit more aggressive today based, you know, than the last three meetings. Wow. Or, hey, Chuck, you're speaking a bit too softly. You don't, it's showing that you don't have a lot of confidence about answering this question. It's able to do ob uh, objection detection if the buyer asks a question and then re 
And then we reply with this, ah, um, I, I don't know. It's going to tell me in real time, hey, you're not being confident about this. It's going to come across as. Wow, the sentiment of the conversation. Exactly. And it's just so many cool things like that. But it's the founders that are trying to, I don't want to say challenge the status quo, but they really are making the team think about the problem that is actually happening. Yeah. And you can actually tell how we work. How we work as a team is not feature driven. It's not agile. It's not really anything. It's a list of problems that we have absolutely witnessed people have. And then we, when we pick stuff up, we pick up problems and then together we solve them. We don't have features driven. There's no solutionizing. The founders don't walk in the room. They have vision, but they don't walk in the room saying, this is what I want. They walk in the room with saying, this is the problem I saw and this is the quantity I saw it at. What do we all think about this? Wow. It's just a completely different way of working. And I think it's that coupled with the vision and who the founders are that is allowing us to build a product that really solves problems. Yeah, and multiple problems uh, layered on top of each other. That's, this is great. Um, do you know what? I'm going to book a, a demonstration time with you, Chuck, you know, Done. Um, Done. Uh, because I'm, I'm really excited about this because this is in the space, as they say, you know, it's the it's the era that we're living in. So, Chuck, coming now onto you, a focus, a spotlight on you as a leader. Okay. How, how do you roll as a leader? What's your style? You kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier on. Ah, it's such a tough question, isn't it? Like, I don't know. There's so many buzzwords you could use. And I don't, I don't know if I have an answer for you, but I'll just talk the truth and see where it lands. I think um, for those people who know me, actually, including for General Assembly, I never use my title ever. I never walk in a room and introduce myself with the title. I just say, hey, I'm Chuck from engineering. I'm here to look after something. I think I like to think of this analogy where you get a bunch of people in a room and somebody stands up with a clipboard and says, uh, who wants to take responsibility when a customer complains? And then somebody puts their hands up and they go, yeah, I love talking with customers. I'll take that one on. And then says, well, who, if we get in trouble legally, who wants to take responsibility? And another person puts their hands up and says, I'll do it. And that's a lawyer, you know? And then somebody says, hey, who wants to like make sure we, we solve problems and, and we do it in a scalable way that we can, we can easily change that still allows us to move fast. And then nobody puts their hands up, but somebody eventually goes, I really like doing that. I'll do it. And all of the things that I just spoke about in that analogy has nothing to do with titles. It has to do everything with responsibility. Mm -hmm. So my responsibility and my title are disconnected. And my responsibility is to get a bunch of people in a room together, make them feel like they want to be there, that they're empowered and that they can solve problems in a way that they think best suits, um, best suits the need and, and are happy to be there and feel like they can be themselves, et cetera. And, and that's it. And if that is what the job is, then great. Um, and even if it isn't, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> That's the type yeah. of person I am. I think uh, get a bunch of people together that I love and respect and, and see what we can do. Yeah, I, I like the way you roll. I like the way you roll, Chuck. Ah, there should be another song there. <laughs> and and as a as a leader, what keeps you up at night? What's the what's the thing that plays on your mind? Um, there's a macro answer and a micro answer, and I'll give you some examples along the way. I'm super example driven, but uh, Lisa Lewin actually from General Assembly, she, she, she taught me this. Um, she said, I would ask her like, how are you so calm in all the problems? And she would be like, Chuck, there are problems and then there are problems. The environment, that's a problem. Many other things, those are big problems. And those are the things that should keep you up at night. But when it comes to work, these are all solvable things. We just got to put our mind to it. And I think for me, what keeps me up at night, I think is definitely more macro stuff that has very little to do with the company and has more to do with the world that we're transitioning into. Um, but on a more, you know, close to home perspective, I think if I, if I upset somebody, like one of my engineers, if I give the you know, piece of information about, I don't know, if I make a mistake about how options work, for example, I feel bad about that stuff. And, and I end up reading books and doing courses afterwards to try and fix the problem. And, and, and that stuff keeps me up because that's tangible. Right? Making a mistake because it was an honest mistake or doing something because you just didn't know, fine, like, okay. But hurting somebody and making them feel less trust and less confidence and less safety, I think that's that's not cool. And that stuff mm. definitely keeps me awake. Yeah, that's great. Again, very human-centric kind of uh, perspective. It's uh, seeing what's works best. And and what are you doing to um, kind of solve that that challenge, that thing that keeps you up night? Have you got any kind of tips and tricks or things that you're doing? To <laughs> I think you definitely got to... Uh, so I have this saying in my head and I just, I stole this from somewhere and I, I think it's seven habits of highly effective people. I can't remember what the book is called, but it's I live your life in daytime compartments. And I think it's about waking up uh, and ending the day and just putting that in a compartment and just doing your best within it. So that when your head hits the pillow at night, 
it's done. You're resetting the next day. So you're able to not let things carry over. And that helps, I think. Um, I really retrospect. I do a lot of retrospecting at the end of each day and in the, in the week and in the month and so on and so forth. And I think retrospective is the key that is missing to many people's growth right now. Mm. Um, and that allows me just to put it, I journal a lot, by the way, but that allows me to put things into real context. If it was an honest mistake, it just was. Mm. And as far as techniques for falling asleep, uh, um, know that I got to get up real early and do some hard things. There's a bunch of people that are relying on me and I cannot fail. Yes. I think that definitely helps me get to sleep. Yeah. And I definitely just try and be relaxed about everything. There's a lesson we learned in the military. If you're not standing, you're sitting. If you're not sitting, you're sleeping. And when you were sit, when you were trying to sleep, they taught you techniques of just how to fall asleep, about relaxing oh, wow. your toes and then your feet, etc. And that still helps me today. It helps me fall asleep pretty quick. Yes. I, I mean, I know this, this uh, podcast is around technology and technology leaders, but I think you touch on something that's really important foundation to all of us and human beings being the only species in the animal kingdom that actually, uh, you know, uh, mess around with their sleep. You know, we actually abuse it, you know, so I think mm. that's a really important thing you said. You know, if you want to be at your best, you have to do set yourself up to be, you know, in your best condition, uh, what have you. So in fact, I'll, I'll change that quote to say, if you want to be your best for other people, you owe it to them to get some sleep yeah nice that i'm pressing that button again boom you boom, know there, there we go, go. boom there you go wisdom princess <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic and now coming on for your leadership to uh you know the teams uh, what are your tips around creating high performing teams you know things like communication uh, alignment collaboration you know we touched on this as well you know but what any tips around there that have really worked for you or even things that haven't worked for you and what you changed whoever you are please come and join a group of people that want to solve a problem and do some good in the world and look back and be able to say to themselves, yeah, I used my time wisely and I was mm -hmm. around people that I learned a lot from and I respected and I'll be friends with hopefully. Um, I think to answer the sort of the micro things, you can never over communicate. That's key. Most failings are not the failings of the individual. They're the failing of your ability to articulate your expectations or communicate them. That's true. hundred percent of the time, in Absolutely. my opinion. Um, I think making people have a safe environment where they can really be themselves. And in fact, this is a good segue. The biggest thing I've seen from being highly affected versus affected is individuals whose mindset changes to acting like owners. And so if you can create an environment where you allow someone to bring skill themselves, their thoughts, their experiences, their willingness, everything to a room to solve a problem in, in the benefit to help another person in the world, in this case for us, it's sellers and buyers. But if you can get them to transition their mindset from being an employee to one of being an owner where they pick up the problem and they're like, right, this is all on me. I'm owning this. I own the outcome of this. Mm. Um, you will no longer have great engineers. You will have exceptional engineers. Love it. That's that's great. That's I think, uh, yeah, it's just putting the foundations in space for that for that for the right things to emerge, you know, and uh, and and thank you for kind of pointing out, you know, that, you know, this that nobody's good at this. We're all working it out as we go along, you know, and, and it's always changing. So true. And in fact, I'll jump in again to see like I think for aspiring uh, engineers and engineering leaders, nobody knows anything and going into a room like you do and having an ego with it, like you're not yeah. going to win. So go in with a curious mindset, bring energy, try and add clarity and you'll be successful. Love it. So Chuck, I've got a question here that seems to be quite a big topic for a lot of tech leaders. Well, actually a lot of leaders in the world, especially in this day and age is about augmenting teams. Okay. In the tech world, you know, we have our contractors, we outsource certain aspects of projects out, um, and, or maybe even insource, uh, from companies that are providing, uh, tech skills and tech talent. What are your thoughts on that of, of creating that blend of teams? Yeah, I've made a lot of mistakes in this area, probably too many, I think, and apologize to all my previous employers for those mistakes. But I think now I see it very much as an onion layer kind of problem. I think the, the core of the onion, it needs to be protected. The team that you build of whatever type it is, but the one that you see as the founding or the core team, uh, you need to protect them. So any way that you change the working environment that impacts them. So for example, if you if you outsource with the purpose of throwing it over the wall, et cetera, and that makes the team that is um, sort of in the company feel different or that their jobs are at risk or anything like that, you gotta be very careful not to affect the stability of the core team, however big it is, you know, be it five, be it 52. Um, but I think it's important that you help 
the team, help engineers understand the business pressures and the different levers that you have at your disposal uh, to get things done. And eventually you'll get to a point where you will find consensus as a single unit of people and, and it'll be very free flowing from that point onwards. So instead of just deciding as a leader, I need to maximize throughput of tickets and I hope you're not doing that, but if you are, uh, and I'm gonna do this because I'm gonna outsource to this group or I'm gonna hire these contractors to come in and say, I would, I would highly encourage you to sit with the team and say, look team, here is the problem that we're facing together and our success together and the success of us being able to deliver something valuable to our customer is limited by the following bottlenecks. What do you think we could do? And I suspect that they will come up with some inventive solutions that you haven't thought about. And if they are uh, solutions that orientate towards augmenting the team, not only will they be supported, but you'll likely pick a combination of the augmentation that will land better and help protect relationships, increase communications, etc. So to summarize, don't just do it. Speak to your team about the problems that you're having. Work together with them on helping increase throughput or whatever it is that you're trying to do. Fantastic. I love that. Um, it's a very open perspective and, and listening to the system as a whole to hear what, what, what needs to happen and, and let, this, let the solution emerge. I love that. And, and I think this is where sometimes when leaders make these kind of big decisions and they don't even give you the indication that things are changing, you know, uh, and I think that creates lots of uh, uh, disturbances in the system. There's the signature of how things are working right now. And you need to give people that anticipation, but also buy in, you know, get them to buy in. That's yeah. it. This, um, this engineering leader I knew, fantastic human being called Terence Lee, uh, he taught me, he said, look, everything is an ecosystem. Everything in the world, it's a system or an ecosystem. And what you're building is an ecosystem. It's a system that needs to function without your input. And you need to make sure that it can do so without you being there. And just by walking in and going, I'm making a decision, I'm changing this, the ecosystem, of course, is going to break, just like everything else on the planet. So you've got to treat it very much as... as uh, yeah, it's something that can evolve and adapt and, and nothing works well if you just poke at it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that analogy there. And the growing pains of companies, because you've obviously worked for a number of different companies, you're working for a company that is growing, like hopefully mm, like it's fun. on some serious kind of like minerals and, and uh, vitamins and what have you. Um, yeah. what, are, what are the foundations for growth to, to kind of avoid those pains that a lot of growing co uh, companies have that are growing? Mm, great question. Oh, that's a really, that's a big question, uh, TC. I think, so I'll tell you what we're doing and then maybe that'll answer the question. I'm unsure because I don't necessarily know the answer uh, just off the cuff. So here at Sales Room, we've decided that it's very important for us to keep the team as small as we can, hire the best talent we can find. And remember, talent does not equal title. Hire the best talent we can find, pay them as close to top of market we can get, so that they don't have to care about money and their safety and their personal lives. They can focus on solving problems. And if we build an environment that is problem focused, that puts people in front of the customer at all opportunities, that puts things in productions constantly, that promotes testing, that promotes failure, that promotes experimentation and innovation, um, you end up attracting people that like that and they don't have to be the same. And in fact, I encourage people, be wary of homogenous environments as you grow. It's very easy to hire for that. And every time you want to fill a seat, hold yourself accountable. In fact, just do this on your own. As, as a single person, if the person is the hiring manager, whatever, just say to yourself, can I write down today exactly what problem the person is solving and how would I measure it three months from now? And if you can't do that, don't hire the person yet. Wait, feel the pain, let the team go through it, experience the issues. And I suspect what will happen is you might not hire for that role. Mm. And that actually led me on to another thought, which is, hire less for roles and hire more for missing skills so if you're for competencies if you're looking at hiring for what i am for example right now i'm hiring for a product designer and a, and a senior uh, front-end engineer the way that we've listed it internally is less to do about the roles and says well here are our risks and here are the skills and competencies that we're missing slash we need to improve as a team they just happen to fit into those into those titles so when we're interviewing we're approaching the interview from a less of a you have a title we want a title to more of a hey we have a problem here is exactly what it is how we see it and how we measure it can you help us with this mm. and that's just a very different way of growing and i think focusing on problems hiring that way etc will lead you to just have a smaller more effective team over time that is happier less churn 
more problem solving, letters against the right wall rather than the wrong wall. Yeah, that's great. And what I see there is, is that you, you're identifying the gaps and trying to close them in a, in a very kind of elegant way. So Chuck, what engineering challenges are you facing at the moment in, in your organization in, as part of your growth and maybe developing some of the features that you're developing? Good question. I think everyone's suffering from the same one right now. Um, finding talented individuals in the market is tough. And I have an answer for that, uh, which is be authentic, be honest. Uh, tell people upfront, and I know people will disagree with this, but that's okay. Tell people upfront how much you're going to pay them, or at least what range, for what location, what the options you're giving them, what work they're actually going to be doing, what problems they're going to be solving, how you're measuring their performance. Tell them all of this stuff upfront. As far as technology issues, I think, you know, we, we decided to go with TypeScript and I think that the ecosystem around that is fantastic, but it's definitely, sometimes I wake up and I feel like I should have gone with something a little bit more boring <laughs> uh, because I, the, 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 when I wake up and I see a problem arise or an issue, it tends to be about, you know, libraries and tools that we're using that weren't quite thought out correctly. And um, I'm a big proponent of uh, picking things that are boring. Uh, that that have had time to prove themselves focus on solving the problem first mm. and finding any kind of product market fit or even fit that you need to find and then get fancy later i love this idea of uh, picking the boring thing the, the thing that's been proved torrent tested because uh, being a, a developer and uh, engineer in the past uh, we always look for the shiny things engineers want to try the next shiny uh, beautiful thing on the market it's you know? true i have a story about this so in the military when you're packing your your bergen your bag right you do everything in your power to cut weight you yeah. even cut your toothbrush in half and you even cut the bristles in half on the toothbrush. Like that's the level of nuts you go to wow. to keep the weight down. <laughs> and the reason is, is because you know what's coming in front of you is going to be hard and you're going to have to go through some things to get there. And the last thing you want to do is have a big bag on your back that slows you down, especially when you need to act. And I think it's the same with technology. When we're making decisions that should be focused on how do I solve a problem and how do I bring value out to individuals in the market, the last thing you want to do is put a big thing on your back. And sometimes you pick fancy technology that is all shiny and popular, et cetera. And it's the equivalent of putting that big shiny thing on your back. Now you got to learn. It's not solved. It's hard to Google. It's hard to stack overflow. There's not a lot of engineers that know it. You spend a lot of time learning, et cetera. All for sometimes superficial reasons, like the UI looks a little bit more pretty. UI has very little to do with you know, solving the underlying problem. And the UI is how it you know, reduces friction and is more pleasant to use, et cetera. So, I'm definitely in the track of focus on solving the problem and getting fit and then make yes. it, you know, do the rest later. And boring technology helps you get there by making your, the pack yeah, on your back yeah. a little, a little That's lighter. great. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of uh, engineers out there because we're all, we've all got those magpie minds, you know. As we come towards the closing arc of our time together, unfortunately, Chuck, um, I've got some really nice warm questions here for you. Your advice to aspiring tech leaders, what advice would you give to them to make their journey to where maybe you are now? A little bit easier. Hmm. Oh, everyone's full of advice. You know, I think be true to yourself. Uh, know what you want. Write it down. Understand it. And then understand what it's going to take to get it. I think that's key. Too many people rush into it and focus on titles and things like that. Um, just know what you want. Be true to yourself and, and less about what other people. And then when you go into work every day, you'll know it's for you and not for others. I think that's key. I think if you want to be a leader, know that it's not about you. Everything is about other people. And in, in fact, you work for your engineers. They don't work for you and, and you're there to serve them. And, it, and your job is to focus on empowering them to be the best that they can be and to have a happy, productive life that solves problems. Your job is not to take your title and brag about it. Your job is not to feel like you're the center of the earth and point to people and, and command meetings, et cetera. In fact, I suspect if you're talking a lot, you should probably consider talking less and listening more. I think that's, uh, that's an ideal recommendation for sure. In fact, it's one of the two, uh, the two tips that Nelson Mandela, Nelson Mandela's father gave him, um, one of which was be the last to speak. Mm. And um, ask a lot of questions. Focus, actually, I would say a key to success is being able to ask questions that others are not thinking about. So if you spend your time on active listening and asking difficult questions and curious questions, uh, you will em both empower people, but also help deliver better results. Great. That's brilliant. And I imagine your tool would also give you that indication whether you're not listening enough and talking too much as well. 
Oh yeah, it does. There it's, you go. A, it's a lot of fun to try and break it too. If you just like randomly, like I've talked a lot on this thing, but that's the key, right? <clears throat> if you focus on solving the problem, which is sellers are afraid or worried that speaking too much will lose the deal. And then mm -hmm. flip the problem to say, buyers don't have enough time to speak to sellers about what they want, or, you know, you can endlessly create these problems. But what you end up doing is you solve the problem like airtime, like I'm taking too much space, mm. but you solve it in context. So for example, if I'm presenting to you with presenting my screen, I stop counting if I'm talking too much because I should be talking mm. and things like that. So you solve the problem in its, in its real life rather than just superficially throwing a count up there that counts yes. you know, how the average between who's speaking and over what it's time. And, and kind of coming back to the, the uh, offering that your organization is creating, it reminds me of Toastmasters. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of Toastmasters yeah, yeah. before. Um, it's a speaking club uh, for the audience. It's a nonprofit organization to help people uh, develop their communication skills, obviously speaking in front of people, but also leadership. And one of the things that we do there is, is uh, there'd be various kind of uh, reflections as to how things are going. Like for example, we would have an um, our counter, you know, somebody would count the number of times you use your verbal crutches. And I love this idea of this kind of feedback loop to kind of allow you to see what other people are seeing, to see yourself, put the mirror up and then adjust accordingly, you know, to, to throttle it uh, backwards and forwards. That's it. And sales room does that too. Um, so for example, we have different contexts of feedback and I know we should, I'm probably talking too much about it now, but um, if we can help you change your behavior in the moment, we're going to tell you. And if you're behaving a certain way to a decision maker or a champion in the call, we're really going to tell you. And there are things that we can't help you with in the call that will help you with after the call. So for example, like you used it there, the R, repetitive words reduce confidence, but are also acceptable traits for individuals to have. Mm -hmm. We'll give you that feedback and then help you understand why it could possibly impact a deal. And what's even cooler is it'll disappear because it sales room has nothing to do with your manager and everything to do with you. Brilliant. Oh man, you know what? I'm, I'm waiting for this demo. We're going to have to talk about this afterwards. <laughs> it's going to be fun. You're going to like it. And, and as part of that learning and, and journey of becoming, uh, you know, for aspiring leaders and making that easier, any books that have been defining, any films, any talks that have been defining moments in your journey as gateways, what would you like to share on that front? All right. So you sent me this question in a schedule, so I prep. All right. So here's <laughs> too many books. <laughs> for those people who know me, there's too many books. Uh, so I picked three for very specific reasons, focusing on um, engineering leadership or individuals wanting to be engineering leaders. Okay, so first, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willett. As much as individuals think about the book and, and what its state is in the current environment, I think it teaches you a key lesson, which is act like an owner. If something happens, don't blame, take responsibility. And I'll give you an example of this. In my previous role at General Assembly, when I was uh, the VP of tech, I upset another VP. And the natural way of doing things is just to go, well, that VP didn't agree with me. But because I read this book, I stepped back and go, okay, well, how did I contribute? Just like a drop in a pond, what ripples were created as a result of me being present? What did I do? How did I act? And uh, in that case, I retrospected. It took a while and with the help of smart people like my ex-CEO, um, or ex-COO, Kieran Luke. Um, I went back to the people and I said, hey, look, you know what? In retrospect, this is completely my fault. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have spoken that way. And I, and I assumed things incorrectly. And I, if I didn't read this book, I wouldn't have taken an extreme ownership perspective, which is to look at myself first and say, how did I contribute to the, the ripples in this pond? That's the wow. first book. Yeah. Um, the second book is called The Goal. And uh, some technologists may have read The Phoenix Project, which is related to The Goal, but I highly recommend reading The Goal because what it teaches you is to look for bottlenecks. Mm. How the factory works is one question. And um, I won't spoil the book, but sometimes the thing that is slowing the system down or preventing the system from having the outcome you desire is the thing you don't expect so having the ability to look at something and ask well what is the bottleneck etc and should which bottleneck should i solve first is a key way i think of moving through a system creating teams being you know, effective on what to deliver on the roadmap or uh, the problem map whichever you have and uh, so that's number two highly recommended very long book in fact uh, I would recommend getting the audiobook instead of the book because the audiobook has different characters interacting and it's very fun. Uh, the third is a book called Factfulness, and it's there to show you that your perception of the world and reality and past events and history, etc., is probably wrong. And the lens of time that you have is skewed. And that book definitely helped me look at something and ask questions, especially about averages or means. So when I hear something on the news and they say uh, the average of thing is X, 
um, I definitely asked myself, where did they get that data and what are the edge cases look like? And, and so mm-hmm. it really showed me how to look at the world at a slightly different perspective too. So extreme ownership, the goal, effectfulness, please do read and please do read on a Kindle, uh, save the paper. Hey, that's that's good. I'm glad you've kind of mentioned that as well, the uh, the, the medium. Um, and I always start to uh, reflect on how many of the books I've read that my guests kind of bring. And I've read, I've read one out of three there. So, you nice. know, I could do Which better. One? Um, the goal. I think that's a brilliant story. Nice. I, I, yeah, it's right. um, Jardine London, one of our previous guests, uh, found that book absolutely fan- fantastic, and she loved it and read it several times, and she uh, inspired me to want to read it as well. And she, she's absolutely <laughs> right. It's a, it's a really good. It book. is. I really do recommend it. It's it's funny in our family. My mother brings it up now. You know, if I'm driving or something, she'll she'll throw a joke out there. She'll say, "What's the bottleneck?" Because uh, <laughs> I've spoken about the book so much. Cool, mom. Yeah, <laughs> High five, mom. Cool. That's great. And um, here you go. I love this. I'm going to be tech genie for a second. I'm going to offer you a tech wish for your leadership, for your organization, for whatever you want in your kind of tech world. What would that wish be? Yeah, I thought about this, right? And then there's lots of answers that I could give specifically about my passion with the environment, et cetera, and how technology can help about that. But in the end, I boiled it down to this. If I had a wish today that I think would have the biggest impact on humanity, it would be the access to computers and the access to the internet the same way that I have had that privilege for every human on the planet. Because out there, there are people that are going to solve all of the other problems that we have. So if we can empower, which is the theme of this talk, and enable those individuals to be the best they can be, then we will win no matter what the problem. So then I get all my wishes for the sake of just this one. Mm, that's right. That quick equanimity, you know, creating the level playing field for people to kind of create their own opportunities. Love that. It's true. It's how I got here. Look, I'm a kid from Africa with poor parents. Mm. And what happened to me is just a bunch of human beings went out of their way to help me. Mm. And the world was accessible to me as an individual. I'm privileged to have that ability to have access to so much education and absorb it and then have great people around me to help make sure that I do succeed. And now I sit here, um, thanks to all of these things. And I'd love for everyone else to be empowered with just the same. I love that. That's great. And as, as we come towards the full stop of our time together, unfortunately, Chuck, what is the t- uh, key takeaway that you'd like to offer the tech leaders out there? <laughs> Uh, go, apparently go to podcasts for sound effects. I think that's something I learned today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I think um, <clears throat> I wrote something down here, right? And, I, and I'm going to not use it because our little chat together, I learned a bunch. And thank you, by the way, for the, the time and the energy. And it's nice to learn and, and talk about things. I think know, know who you are, know what you want and know what you bring. And then do everything in your power to create, to be in an environment and to start each day and end each day being proud of yourself and being in a position of curiosity, learning and bringing energy. And I think it doesn't really matter the rest of the stuff, right? You can learn anything you want. You can, um, you know, whatever you can do all that stuff, but coming to work with the right attitude and being in the environment that is best suited for you. Don't be a fish who's asked to climb a tree kind of thing. You will succeed because every single day you'll wake up and you'll want to do it. In fact, here's a sign for you. If you wake up and you think I have a ticket to do, something's wrong. You should be waking up and saying, how am I going to solve this problem for this person? So that's a, a key indicator that I use and it's really helped me. And in this current role that I'm at, thank God I have it. Uh, it's such a lovely role. But I wake up every single day and my to-do list changes because the importance changes. And I wake up every day and I think to myself, what problem am I going to solve today? What am I in the mood of solving? And I think that that is such a luxury, but it does bring me, it brings all of me out every day. And I think it's very cool. So Excellent. I hope that lands well. It was a bit disjointed, but hey, there it is. Now it's beautiful notes. There's quite a few key takeaways there for me personally, and I'm sure that will resonate with our guests. So, so it's been great having you on, Chuck. I've really enjoyed our time together. Thank you. Thanks, TC. Wow. Where do I begin? Firstly, his journey to where he is now and the gratitude he has for the people that have guided, supported, and mentored him along the way is just fantastic to hear. All of this has culminated in creating a wonderful human-centric tech leader with passion and wisdom. I know what Chuck means about falling in love with tech. This happened to me many years ago. And credit to Chuck for your drive. You're a fighter for what you want to create, be it for yourself, your life journey, the teams you work with, and the problems in the product space that you lock horns with. 
It's fascinating to see the lessons that Chuck learnt in the military as well, especially the calmness you appear to bring to what I imagine are stress points that would send many of us into a spin. It reminds me myself to find that place of composure and clarity to lead myself and others from. So what were your key takeaways, audience? These were mine. My first key takeaway is about tools like SalesRoom that augment our activities to help us are great supporting additions to the challenges we face in the work we do. Especially the solution to make remote working, remote meetings more supportive of better communication and building better relationships. I know for one, I would love to have this tool to help me and coach me in producing better outcomes from the many meetings that I face every single day. My second key takeaway is the vision-enabled leadership that the founders of the company are using. I love this. Instead of giving direction by outlining features, instead creating visions of solving real situ problems that people are facing while working remotely and unleashing the teams to solve them. A very enlightened approach, I think. I've seen this play out for myself in the past and it's a great space to work in. I can feel the autonomy, the ownership, and the creativity firing up. And my third and final key takeaway is around communication. As Chuck said, most failings are not failings of the individual. They're the failings of the ability to articulate your expectations or communicate them. Yes, the art of communication, to dig deeper and be more thoughtful about our communication, especially in our remote world. The topic of over-communicating came up again in this podcast. Like Chuck, I agree, in a remote world, we need to make up for the lack of overhearing conversations and seeing discussions in the corner by communicating information more so people can be aware of what's happening or even what people are thinking. There were many, many more key takeaways, but I've already run my allocated time. So, thank you for your time, Chuck. I agree wholeheartedly around your wish to eliminate digital poverty in the world. This elimination will uncover more leaders, more innovators, more creatives to solve problems we face now and ones that we will face in the future. The tech genie is working hard to make this come true, sir. So thank you for your time again, Chuck. May the leadership force continue to be strong in you. And finally... Remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.